all of the sounds uh, end with like the humming breath. Yeah. Uh, it stimulates the pineal gland. That's the light-sensitive gland that gets dormant when it's weathered like this. And so you can use chanting to actually vibrate that gland and get yourself okay. physically activated. Is that the bees humming? Yeah, yeah. that's the humming breath, yeah. Wow. The sound bees make like that. Right, and that's specifically called out in... Yeah, it's called brummery. Brummery, okay. Brummery, yeah. Cool. I wanted to... Um, Discuss the elephant in the room here, uh, my hair. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I have a haircut set for tomorrow, so I appreciate that you, when you walked in, you didn't say anything. No, right no, I, I, my mother taught me to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And speaking of elephants in the room, how about that for a segue? There's a little bit of a setup here. <laughs> but Ganesha mantra, you know, that's... Ganesha, Ganesha, yeah. Ganesha, yeah. Yeah, Ganesha Sharanam, Sharanam Ganesha. Are there a lot of different uh, mantras for... There are literally tens of thousands of mantras, and I certainly do not in any way um, promote myself as someone who knows that whole field. It's right. not my study, but what I was very fortunate in, as many of us back, uh, back in the 60s and 70s, is meeting um, these individuals, swamis, most of them, um, men, monks from India who came, and then they each had certain mantras that was within their lineage mm. and their tradition. Okay. So um, the lineage that I've studied is called the Shankaracharya lineage, um, and that goes back oh, probably 1600s, um, Swami Shankaracharya. And so the mantras we use would be ones that people within that lineage use. Okay, yeah. It's similar in Tibetan Buddhism. There's so many different I think schools, so. Yeah, yeah, like Yogi Bhajan and the yeah. 3HO people, they all have certain mantras that they use. However, each teacher, um, and I like to think of, at, in my case, I was attracted to a teacher who resonated with where I was. Mm. And part of that was just literally the sound vibration. And that then goes into the mantras. So they use certain mantras. Mm. And so Swami Sachidananda, who was my guru back in the 70s and 80s, 90s, um, he used mantras from his teacher, Swami Shivananda, who is in this Shankaracharya lineage. And they're really beautiful mantras. However, there's two types of mantras. There's Kamya and Nishkamya. Um, Kamya mantras would be ones that you would um, have to repeat often, mm -hmm. and, and so that you're not going to get an immediate uh, benefit from the vibration. You do get an immediate benefit, but it over time it builds. Okay. The Nishkamya mantras are the ones that um, you can do immediately, and you'll get a really powerful hit from it. Now, the difference between the two is longevity. Um, the ones that give you a quick hit, they don't last long. Mm. The ones that you have to really repeat and get going is like getting that wheel turning. It takes a little effort in the beginning, but then it gets less and less effort, and soon it's going on its own. Mm. And those are the mantras within the tradition that I'm. Are some are in. each of those groupings are they, are they longer or shorter? Uh, they can be anything. Okay. Yeah, they can be anything, but they all um, they're within a certain range, a resonance range, so they vibrate at a certain frequency. Right. 
Yeah, powerful stuff. It is powerful stuff. Oh my goodness. And and Ganesha is also sort of um, there's certain things, um, uh, negativity blocking negative energy, right? Um, and starting a new endeavor is that starting, starting a new endeavor? Yeah. yeah. If you if you go to India, almost every shop you'll see a little stitched statue of the elephant-headed god, <laughs> with a little incense stick burning, um, because um, prosperity. So he'll help uh, to bring. He'll remove the obstacles that prevent you from making more money. For example. So you think that's why he's so popular? Also, Lakshmi, right? The same. Same thing. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah, I would say yes. But what's so remarkable? And again. Um, I am very thankful for being exposed to it is there is a, um, a very subtle dimension that exists where knowledge comes, mm -hmm. not knowledge, relative knowledge, not knowledge that describes the ever-changing field. So knowledge of how the mind thinks or knowledge of how the universe, how a, how a recording machine works, not that kind of knowledge. It's a knowledge that allows you to access a sensitivity. We would call it intuition, maybe. Um, but there is a vast field of this information. It's called deva loka. Mm. Um, the word deva comes from that, which gave, gave us the English word a deva, <laughs> not what it is. Right, right. Um, so deva is the knowledge and the information that can come to us and is available to us that is the very basis of all of creation everything so, so is it one of the goals of yoga would you say to um be able to um access that state i would say in certain basis? in certain traditions of yoga yes yeah yeah again in the tradition i followed which was much more of a karma yoga um and raja yoga um, so you get yourself into balance and connected to that divine state. Divine comes from Deva, mm -hmm. so originates from Deva. Um, so in the tradition I'm with, I access what is necessary due to how I have um, programmed my mind and I had the kind of sounds. So I'm an antenna. We're all antennas. Oh, and so we receive that frequency. So depending on how your mind and body vibrates, that will draw you to certain ones. So there's a resonance there. It's a, there's a definite resonance, but there's something, and that's where the whole, um, for what I've been and what I've been told is, the angel world, right? That mm -hmm. you get in Christianity and in Judaism, um, angels came from the word, not the word, but came from the whole idea that there is this heavenly place. And by heavenly, a yogi would say, a place where there is no change, where things are eternal. Mm. But there's a certain level of it where, because it's a unified field, it's connected to everything, you receive knowledge. It doesn't come in the form of thoughts. It doesn't come in the form of words. It comes in the form of a, a, a sense, a feeling. Mm -hmm. And so Deva Loka is available to all of us. And it's, a, it's, it's something that through meditation and through the different practices, you're actually attuning yourself to it. Mm -hmm. That's a long way of saying, no, I'm not, I'm not specifically trained to connect to that. <laughs> <laughs> and a long way of, of, from the Ganesha mantra, which... And the Ganesha mantra, but so, yeah. that is wonderful. Ganesha sharanam sharanam Ganesha. So we're vibrating our mind and our body too. That's the beautiful part. Because all of the chants, they're all calibrated 
um, to a certain frequency that corresponds to every cell in your body. Right. So certain sounds will move certain organs and glands, not move them, but vibrate them. And other sounds will affect other areas. And so if your digestion, for example, if you have weak digestion, well, there's mantras for that. Harium, harium, yeah. Rama, rama, rama. You know, there's different sounds. How fortunate for all of us to know that we don't have to reinvent the wheel that Ayurvedic medicine, which has been around tens of thousands of years, they understood how important it was, not just the fuel we put into the body or how much we sleep, but how do we vibrate? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty remarkable thing when you realize, well, yeah, I can actually chant some mantras and sounds and they will vibrate that part of the body. It seems like if you don't do that, then you're at the mercy of the world around you and its vibrations. Well, Whether yeah, that yeah. could be traffic yeah. or just noise in mm-hmm. general, if you don't take that time. Yeah. I think we're all at mercy of that. So yeah. I don't know how much it gets us away from that. Now, However, if, if you didn't do it at all. Your point is well yeah. well made. No, we can, um, we can be less reactive and more responsive to the situation. And that's what these practices, and that's what Raja Yoga, I find, um, has helped and assisted me in in this ongoing journey of becoming more aware, Mm -hmm. being a more loving, a more caring individual, which I think all of us really want that. Yes. No matter who you are. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to feel safe and comfortable in themselves and their surroundings. Everyone. Everyone, No matter who you are. There's some people, unfortunately, that may not um, take that feeling and manifest it in a unifying way. They might actually go to a more divisive way of expressing it, but we all want the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think even if someone that doesn't share your political view, they still want a world, you know, where where everyone's happy, or at least their group of people are anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the mantra, the full... So the mantra to start, which we had talked about the last time we were together, is... We start from this place, and we travel to what's next. We can't really tell what's going to be next, but we can get ourselves so we're open and available to the transitions. So when the time comes, and some of those transitions is like pulling the cucumber from the reaper, um, which is part of that translation, um, the Mahamitrajaya Mantra is a good way of starting things. So we'll do that chant. Om Om Trayam Pakam Yajamahe Sugandim Pushtiwadanam Urwaru Kamive Bandanan Murityor Mokshia Mamrutat Om Trayam Bakam Yajamahe Sugandim Pushdiwadanam Urwaru Kamive Bandanan Murityor Mokshia Mamrutat Om Trayam Bakam Yajamahe Sugandim Pushdiwadanam Urwaru Kamive Bandanan Murityor Mokshia Mamrutat 
Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Om Peace, Peace, Peace. Nice way to start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly sends a certain uh, vibration in the space here. It does, yeah. The mind has no choice. Well, it could rebel, but when you just give your intention into chanting and listening and being with the vibration, it leads you somewhere. Mm, yeah, yeah. I like to be led. <laughs> Space gypsies. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so you mentioned Satchitananda again. What was the, um, when was the first time that you met him or even, what was the first, because I know you're, you're saying you were like in your early 20s and just, I think mm -hmm. you had just gotten out of the army or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what was your sort of first experience or how did you meet, um, uh, come in contact with him? Yep. That's a, uh... That always brings a smile to my face. Um, I was very fortunate and uh, was uh, the army finally decided I would not make a good soldier. So I was very fortunate. Mm -hmm. I got out. But um, I didn't get into law school. And I graduated college. And um, the time it took to get free of my obligations with the army kind of put me in a place where I... I would have to wait, wait a year before I could go into law school. So I looked for a job, and I got a job. I was hired to take over um, at a, the, a vi as vice president, taking over this woman's job who had been there for 50 years, helped found the place. This is in Jersey City, New Jersey. So I was hired to um, work under and, and train with this wonderful lady, um, and her husband, she was 68, he was 74. Alice Gruenberg was her name. And I worked with her, and within the first two weeks, um, I had fallen in love with her, not and just as a lovely person kind mm -hmm. of way. Mm -hmm. But I was really taken with her, and she was training me. She was a very beautiful person. What, what kind of company was it? It was a professional employment agency. Okay. So they... They placed professionals, yeah. yeah, CEOs and things like that, engineers. And so uh, one day she said, "Well, I'm leaving. I'm leaving early, so I want you to do the phones. And here's your list of things you need to do." I said, "Oh, where are you going?" She goes, "Oh, my husband um, comes and picks us up, and we go into a yoga class in New York City, which you just had to go right through the tubes to get over to the city." Um, they went to the Shivananda Yoga Center on Twenty Third. And I said, oh, oh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Famous last words. That's it. Yeah. Within three weeks of that time, I had been to four or five yoga classes in the city with them. And uh, her husband was 72 years old. And I only knew people that age that were old. Right. And, and by old, I mean, because you can be 72 and not be old. People seemed older, too, back in... in it did the, seem that we way. Kids. I agree. Like you, you look at pictures of someone that's like 60 or 50, and you're like, you look 80. Yeah. And nowadays, yeah. people, you know, our age... Lots have changed in our yeah, lifetime so. very, for the good. Yeah. And he was in great shape. And he actually demonstrated advanced yoga postures at the Shivananda Yoga Camp. Um, in the Bahamas, so he was like he was like a you know kind of a star with the yogis. Oh, okay. So he wasn't just going there. He was uh, no, he wasn't a teacher or anything. He okay. was just really good at it. Yeah, wow. Well. 
When I took my first class, I loved it. It was wonderful. But after about four classes, I said to Alice, I said, you know, Alice, this is, this is good, but I don't know. Seems like I just feel like something's missing. Mm. And she said, oh, well, Swami Sachidananda just opened up an integral yoga institute on 13th Street between 6th and 7th Avenue. I'll give them a little plug because they're still teaching there. <laughs> and why don't we go on Saturday morning? I said, okay, let's do it. She calls up Saturday morning, right before I was out to leave and pick her up, and said, you know what, it's, I don't feel like it's for me today. Why don't you just go? <laughs> she knew the whole time. So I took a class, and that's where it happened. I took this beautiful yoga class, but at the end they did a meditation, which was different than the other classes I was taking. So after you did your relaxation and your breathing techniques and everything like that, they would do a, what, three-minute meditation. 40 people in the class, I, <laughs> I went into the meditation, I opened my eyes, what I thought was a few minutes later, turned out it was 45 minutes later, the class had emptied, and there were three people looking at me, very, very concerned. Now quick, it's, this is 1971, so most people who came were either on an acid or smoking some pot or doing something, so yeah. that was kind of big down in the village back in those days, so they were concerned. And I opened my eyes, and when I opened my eyes, they were off to the side. But what was in front of me was a picture of Swami Satchidananda, and they had blown up a poster of him. And I opened my eyes, and I saw him, and something inside, I knew him. Mm. I knew that man. Within a month of that time, I had moved in, hadn't met him yet, and he was giving a talk at a church up in the uh, uh, up in. What was that? About 85th Street. St. John the Divine Church. Right, right, right. And I walk in, I get in the back, and he walks in, and it was as if he was floating. He was a re the peace I got from just looking at him. And he spoke. And I couldn't tell you exactly what he said, except I was taken. That was someone that was different than I had ever met before, and that started my journey with Swamiji. So do you think you had a past life connection with him? For, for you know, that's of, a difficult one. I can yeah. say, and I'm not, a, I'm not certainly opposed to the thought that um, things have happened before and they continue, so there's continuity. I definitely agree to that. Yep, yep. And when I opened my eyes and saw him, I recognized him. So, you know, what was that? You could look at it from many different angles. But here's where I think maybe you're right about that. At the end of the talk, I went in the back and I walked out and I saw they had books. And I'm looking at this books and there's this little book that said, How to Know God. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, right. By Swami Prabhupada and Christopher Isherwood. Christopher Isherwood yeah. And so I was talking to these people. I said, this was a remarkable talk. I mean, I really love the meditation at the end. We had that also. We had the meditation that he led that was, and he chanted Om Shanti which just sent me, and I, had, I was not a meditator. I should really say that to everyone. I was a very depressed, very unhappy, very confused person. I, I, I just wasn't comfortable myself in, well, that, that by time any means. Too, at, at the end of the 60s and the 70s, Kent State was there. It was awful. <clears throat> and the, the anti-war movement was, was winding down, mm -hmm. and a lot of people really didn't know what, the young people really didn't know what was next. Those, I think the anti-war movement kind of morphed into um, women's rights and, and yep. uh, civil rights again, so it was a good thing. Mm -hmm. But after 70, after Kent State, the anti-war movement really died down. 
I think a lot of people felt adrift, you know. I, well, that was me, for yeah. sure, you know. Um, it, it was difficult. But anyway, I bought the book, Out and All God, and that's the aphorisms of Pentangeli, um, 196 short-ter statements called sutras. And I started reading it, and it was like, this is a roadmap to understand how to to live a life where your mind is in order and attuned to things, where you can be in a state of unity and still be an individual. And I was just super excited. Mm -hmm. So I moved into the institute there, and uh, right. within within the year, I became a, a pre monk. And you know, I started out with like, this goes back to my compulsive. So don't think this is like super spiritual or something. But I was doing like six hours of practices a day. I would get up at 3 a.m. with a bunch of people and we'd meditate for three hours and then we'd do hatha yoga and do our breathing and then we would do our reading. And I found that for the first time in my life, I was so excited that there was something that was very clearly articulated and written down and, and there was teachers who taught it, teaching us how to live in our body and in our mind in a way where we could feel good. Feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's Swami Satchitananda holds a special place in my heart. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned uh, your body, feeling your body. Mm -hmm. We were talking last time about the, the five vehicles as well. Mm -hmm. the, the body being the first, sort of the root, the most coarse vehicle that we have mm -hmm. yeah, to, yeah. to manipulate this world that we have. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's, it's very interesting because we use the word body because in English, what the, you know, that usually people say, body when they're talking about a body of water or when they're talking about their physical body. So in this system, they very clearly define and point out and have techniques to attune each one of these bodies. We have five bodies or vehicles, which I love that thought, right? Is this part of the, the sutras? This is part of Raja Yoga. Yes. Okay. Yep. And the physical body, it's, it's the one that's most affected by change. Uh, it's always changing, and it's it, the name for it is Ana Maya Kosha. Kosha means sheath, Maya means the appearance, because it's changing, right? And each of these five vehicles have, have kosha. a name. Yeah, have a kosha, exactly. Right, right. And Ana means food, so this is the food body. Oh, okay. So this is the food body, so air, water, food. Um, and then more subtle than that is the energy body. It's called Prana Maya Kosha, mm -hmm. and that's the energy body. Which, for someone who has the type of mind, and I do have this type of mind where I like everything to be logical, yeah. and I like things to be orderly, I've and I seen like your everything. House. I yeah, attest to this. <laughs> it can get a little neurotic. I understand. My no, wife same here. Tell you. you see anything less than a right angle in this studio? <laughs> but when I found out, oh, just like I had my car, um, I have five vehicles. Mm. So physical energy, mental body. Now, those are the three bodies that Raja Yoga talks about because those are the ones that are ever-changing. Mm -hmm. We have two other bodies, but they're in a, um, in a divine state. They're in a never-changing state. Okay. Good news, you can't screw them up. And that's the bliss body and the knowledge body. So back to what we were talking about before with Devaloka. Our knowledge body is attuned to a, a finer, more inclusive dimension, which includes everything you'd ever need, need to know in order to navigate the world successfully. Mm. It doesn't tell you how to get a job. <laughs> you know, it doesn't tell you what food to eat, not those, that type of thing. 
But those two bodies are fine. So Raja Yoga is dealing with those three. So we have five vehicles. Yeah. So those those three, the bottom three, they're very closely intertwined. You can't separate them. Yeah. 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 They cannot be separated. You can quiet one. So when you go to sleep, your physical body and your energetic body go into a sleep state, mm-hmm. but the mental body will still go through different changes. Mm-hmm. And energetic body. I, I was thinking the other day, something that happened uh, in Vancouver. We were both in the front of the house for some reason there. And out on the street, there were a couple of, of guys. I think they were homeless and they were, they'd gotten into a fight. So they were just started, they, they, were, they were sort of amping up to get into a fight. And I watched you just kind of slowly walk over towards them. And you did something to just sort of play with the energy to kind of the way that you spoke to them. You weren't saying, hey, what's going on? What are you guys doing? It was very, it seemed like you were working with the energy. And I think we talked briefly about it mm-hmm. after that because mm-hmm. I was watching. I was like, what just happened there? Because you, you set sort of, you pushed this sense of peace between them and they just kind of wandered off and... And the whole scene had been, um, you know, all of the energy, the negative energy had been taken out of it. So is that something that's associated, too, with the energy body, would you say? Absolutely. That you can navigate no, absolutely. that and, and, and interact with people as well? Yes. The only the only thing I would say was, because otherwise um, people are going to get really the wrong idea. Yeah. This isn't something I do. But when you are in, in balance, what I find, not that I'm always in balance, but when I'm in balance... I find that I'm attuned to where someone else is. I think we mentioned last time that we're empathic beings. We feel things. So the more you're in tune, the more that you'll be in tune with them. Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. if you're in tune with them, and this is the miracle and this is the joy of doing this work, and you cannot take responsibility for it. And that is the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah. Because you can feel it coming through you. So what happened in that case, I remember, was that Whatever was going on between them, they were really in an uncomfortable place. Mm. And they were open to having me be a part of the experience. And since I was in probably, I definitely was in a more peaceful place, they were affected by it. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were the type of person who would not be affected by it, I doubt very much that I would have gone up to them or over to them. Right. So there was a certain resonance there that that happened. I like that word. Yes. And it wasn't it wasn't just a casual thing. They were going to oh, fight yeah. and we I, I was sort of looking at this, someone going to pull a knife here or something. Yeah. 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 It, it wasn't just a little thing. We all of us, every single person have the capacity to tune into a guidance system that allows us to do what it is that we need to do allows us to do it the best we can Mm. and that's the key word there the best we can um i can't speak of anything other than i'm in process and i'm still doing the best i can yeah yeah however content yeah going back to what we're saying before i think especially in these times these times are so uncomfortable for so many people and People might misunderstand. They might think that why it's uncomfortable is because of the world or because of certain uh, ideologies. Mm -hmm. And that's not really the case. We're uncomfortable because we're not connected to the wise, aware, intuitive self that everyone is connected to. 
very few people have calmed their mind and developed the ability to, to be in touch with that, but everyone has that. So what are what, what would you be in touch with instead of that? Just, so what happens then, so what will happen is when you have access to that intelligence or that guidance system, things come to you. Mm-hmm. You just, and you again, you can't take, boy, I can't say this more times than... You cannot take responsibility. It doesn't originate from within us. And that's something I think that's universal to all the teachers I've ever studied with. They will never say that I'm wise or they'll never say that I'm enlightened. The teachers that I I was exposed to and trained by all developed or had the understanding but developed that understanding in me that what we do is, to answer your question, we can clear our mind have our body be receptive so that whatever it is we have to do, we are in tuned perfectly with that moment. So you might be, is it something that could be like your body would actually not be in the place that it needs to be for something to happen? That's correct. Yeah, because I know the major events in my life where I moved geographically mm-hmm. were never, none of them were anything that I had set out and planned Same to do. Same with me, yes. Yeah, well, this place is an, is an exception. Mm-hmm. But it was always, and the people that came into my life and changed my life so mm-hmm. radically were not something that I was actively courting. It exactly. Just, boom. Yeah, Alice Grunberg. Yeah. You know, and it goes. That's absolutely the case. Yeah. So it's it's up to all of us to align ourselves with this wise, aware, intuitive self, um, so that we can then navigate the world and the challenges of the world. And and this isn't just a spiritual thing. Hockey players learn this. Sure. Baseball players yeah, learn yeah. this. You know. Um, you have to know what to do, but if you think about what to do, you're already behind the moment and the puck's in the net or the ball is in the catcher's mitt or whatever. I don't know why we're uh, suddenly in the airport zone today, but uh, hopefully I can edit this out a little bit. Um, yeah, so getting back to the bodies then, what's the relationship between the physical body and the energetic body? How do they sort of coordinate? The, the, they're layers. Hmm. Like an so, onion, would you say? That has more layers. Hmm. So I'm trying to think of what a little example would be. And, um, the outer layer is the one that is the densest. It's the one that is designed to interact with forms, Mm. with material existence. So the physical body connects to the world around us through the senses. So that's a very specific vehicle. So it has to be able to attune itself to the sensual information of the world around us. Right. Where does that information go? Well, that's gross vibration the energy body is connected to the physical body 72,000 channels right the nadis the i think there's 69,000 but who am i to argue with these wise people from the past <laughs> we still have another 2000 <laughs> right um, but there are there are nerve currents on a subtle level that mm-hmm. take the sensual information and transported 
as subtle energy so that the mind can receive it because the mind cannot receive the grosser sensual information on the physical plane. So it's almost a conduit? It's a, it's a transformer. Transform. Yeah. It's a, it's a step up transformer. Mm. So it takes a grosser vibration, it modifies it, so it's, it still is in keeping with the basic DNA of the experience, but that information becomes subtle energy, which is received by the mind. Then the mind takes that information, processes it, puts mm. it in some relationship to things it knows already, owns the experience, and now you have a full experience. I'm sitting here looking at Greg. So it seems to me you could be possibly completely um, unaware of your energy, energetic body. Oh, most people are. Going through the physical things mm -hmm. and something, you stub your toe and mentally you go, ow, I need, why did I do that? But you're saying then that energetic body is... That happens instantaneously. The information is transferred between... The and then it goes the other way also. So you can have a thought. That thought is then transferred as energy. Now we get the step-down transformers. Um, our listeners might know that... We're in British Columbia, and so we have hydro. So they take the energy from the dam, which you'd never be able to use, and what they do is they step it down till right. finally we can have this recording equipment working. And that's a series of step-down transformers. Say so that they take the power at a very huge high level, and they step it down so that we can use it. Right. It's the same thing with our bodies. So the mind thinks that thought is then transferred energetically to the body as a feeling, a mm. sensual feeling. The mind uh, sees something coming at it because the eyes saw the puck coming. And so the energy went to the mind, the mind very quickly, very quickly, I hope, otherwise you're going to get hit. Um, that's a puck. This is a hockey. It's coming at me. I'm in danger. And you put your hand up and you deflected so it seems like the mental uh, realm is primary it's sort of because uh, none of these things would exist that we have until unless someone had thought of them that's correct yeah it, so it seems like that i mean this is a buddhist idea it's the first thing, thing you'll see when you read a lot of the books the mm -hmm. first thing that's stated is the mind is is primary it's the sovereign um form of, of awareness absolutely and yeah. and pentanjali who was around the same time as um, jesus and as buddha um talks about that the mind all of raja yoga is totally how to understand and utilize the functionality of the mind mm. so you're i was taught how the mind functions the parts of the mind the recording the analytical and the ownership part of the mind and then I was taught how to keep that mind in a um, non-reactive state so that the mind can respond automatically to stimuli information coming from either within the mind or from the energy body or the physical body connected to the world. Hmm. So the mind is the definitive vehicle that we want to learn how to handle. So it is the mind then that um, is more, is, is the... Um, has more need to understand the energy body than the physical body or both equally? <clears throat> because they're all just a finer vibration of the same basic substance, the ever-changing field, they are designed and they work perfectly together. Mm. 
the only time they don't work perfectly together is, let's say you're born with some kind of birth defect, mm -hmm. uh, cerebral palsy or Down syndrome or something that prevents you from, um, and not that these aren't fully functional people, however, they have certain physical challenges. Or if you get a stroke, for example, probably stroke's a better example. If you get a stroke, well, your body isn't able to function and then your mind's affected also. Mm -hmm. uh, memory loss could happen or thing, you know, different things. So these, these three bodies are designed to work together unless something happens. For the most part, the majority of people, what happens is the mind is disturbed. It's not a physical disturbance, but the mind is disturbed. Sure. And as soon as the mind is disturbed, the energetic body is no longer kind of firing on all cylinders. And so your physical body isn't getting what it needs. Mm -hmm. So if you're frightened, for example, um, fear will tend to stimulate, not tend, it does stimulate the adrenals. And so the kind of adrenaline that's secreted by the adrenal glands, it's fight or flight. It's a poison. It's the only poison the body makes, from my understanding, and doctors that I've worked with and have actually trained me to be a yoga teacher. I had three medical doctors train me. Um, and so that poison has a purpose, and that's to protect us. How? However, when that fear happens, the whole body feels the fear. Right. So you might have a fear of finances. It's a rough time for, for all of us around finances. And so it may be that you have some fear that you don't, you're not going to have enough money to pay the rent in the worst case. Um, what happens then is that thought is transmitted energetically into your body, and your body responds as if a saber-toothed tiger is attacking it. Mm -hmm. So this, this reminds me then of the, uh, the image of Krishna in the chariot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, and the and the horses are the five senses. Yeah, yeah, and the reins, right? That's how you control them. So yeah, there's a lot of those those stories and those um, metaphors about how to use your mind in the way it was designed. And the, and I always like this thought because it gives me uh, a sense of uh, uh, of power. Actually, it's not what you do so much as it's the state of consciousness you do it from sure. or the state of mind you do it from intention and all of that mm -hmm. yeah. if your mind is clear and you you have access to a <clears throat> to knowledge and awareness well then you will act in a way that's best for everyone mm. you know what we talk about win-win situations but if the mind is disturbed and the mind is agitated the information that comes to it is distorted. We will not see clearly. You know, how many times people will, will have, it's happened to me, you know, and I could say um, to someone, are, are you okay? You know, and they go, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm really good. And I realize I just projected my not being okay on that person. <laughs> Interesting. I distorted the information coming at me and put my own narrative on it. Wow. You know, this might be a good uh, place to stop right now, and maybe next time we can talk, go deeper into the mind, because I think that's really where the action is for most people. And within Raja Yoga, Greg, it, it's it's the most important thing to yeah. know and understand the functionality of our mind. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Cool. Okay, we have a closing chant. Mantra. Yeah, yeah. And it has a lot to do with the mind. So the translation is, lead me from the unreal to the real. 
questions that lead me from me distorting reality to just having a clear enough mind so that I can experience things as they are. So lead me from the unreal to the real. Lead me from the darkness of ignorance to the light of understanding. And that's a direct reference to being connected to our knowledge body. And the third one, which is very powerful, is lead me from the fear of death to the abode of immortality. Mm-hmm. And I like to change the word death to change. So lead me from my anxiety about change to a place where I can stay connected to my immortal consciousness and deal with it. Yeah, it seems if, if you can um, be able to accept change and flow with it, you're mm. going to be much more content. You are, yes. And you're going to be more successful in life. Yeah. yeah. So this is the chant. Okay. Asatoma Satgamaye Tamashoma Jyotir Gamaye Mrityor Maha Amrudam Gamaye Om Shanti 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 May we all experience peace. Peace.